that. Open your Bibles. We are in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we are having a farewell today with this uh, friend that we've come to know over the last 13 weeks. We've been in this sermon series that I've called Chasing the Wind. Let me take a little time out for a second. Last week, we prayed for Ukraine, and I enjoyed you praying with me for that. Uh, one of the words that I chose to use last week in praying for uh, Vladimir Putin uh, may have gotten misconstrued. I had several people email me this week and say, I think I heard you say, defend that man, defend Putin. And I did not say defend, or at least you may have heard me say defend, but that's not the word I chose to use. The word I chose to use last week was defang that man. As in, take his teeth out, right? Make him to where he is not able to do the deeds that he's doing. And I could see how that could get conveyed wrongly. I wanted to make sure you all knew I was not saying, oh, Lord, defend Vladimir Putin. I was saying defang him. And I think you probably can join me in that one maybe a little bit easier. Anyway, thank you for helping me clear that up. I feel better already. All right, so here we are, ready to go again for today. All right. As we come to the close of the book of Ecclesiastes, test time again, because there's one word that I've said, if you're going to understand this book, you've got to get, and I've come back to it again and again and again, and that word is a Hebrew word, it's, it, the name of that word in Hebrew is Hevel, and here it is, it's up here for you, and I've been arguing all along that this word does not mean meaningless or vanity, the word means, and I have it up there for you, so I really can't test you, but it means vapor or mist. And so God has never been arguing, and Solomon is not arguing, you live a meaningless life. No, 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 he's not saying that. You live a life full of vanity, as in you go to the vanity and you are vain with yourself. No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is you live a life, life that's vaporous. The things that you think you can go hold on to, you can't hold on to. They just slip away from you like vapor or like smoke or mist. They're here and they're gone. And so he's made arguments all the way along here with us as we march to this book of wisdom. And he said, money. Oh, wouldn't it feel good to just uh, have it in the comfort of it? But it's vaporous so many times. Work is vaporous so many times. Pleasure, vaporous so many times. Health vaporous so many times we'd love to be able to depend constantly on those things but we can't let's remember the purpose that solomon has put forth as he gives us this book his purpose has been to apply wisdom to all aspects of life and so he's chosen all of these aspects of life sometimes he circled back on them again and again but he's he said i want to get all these situations of life and I want to apply wisdom to those situations. That's what I've sought to do. Let me remind you in verse 13, he said this to us, chapter one, verse 13, he said, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that's done under heaven. I have seen everything that's done under the sun and behold, all is hevel, all is and maybe vanity, but again, what I'm arguing here is, again, it's like a puff or a mist. It's vapor, and it's like a striving after the wind. So Solomon's going to close 
this 13 weeks that we've spent with him with a final chapter here, a final section here, in which he gives some really closing words about wisdom. He's going to tell us, if I can close out on wisdom and how you can have wisdom, I want to give you like a capstone or a summary of how uh, you go about doing that. So we're picking up in chapter 12, we're picking up in verse uh, 9, and this is the way that Solomon chooses to conclude his writing. He says, besides being wise, the preacher himself also taught the people knowledge weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings they are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making of many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome of the flesh. The end of the matter has all been heard. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Lord, here we are opening ourselves once again for Your wisdom to be poured into us. We receive this today as Your gift from us. We ask that we would just have hearts ready to receive this and practice this for your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Many of you know that I love to fly fish, especially I guess as the summer rolls around, it's warm weather and you're out and just enjoying a river or a stream. Well, I have to tell you, I haven't always fly fished all my life. I began to really fly fish at the point at which Denise and I moved to Denver. And I said, man, I'm kind of in the ground zero of fly fishing. There's all these rivers, all these streams. So I want to learn to fly fish while I'm in Denver. And that was 1990, a number of years ago now that we moved there. Well, I thought, you know, I'll just go about this like I go about most things. And I said, you know, I'm going to go read about this. And Denise remembers this. I even created a binder that had five, a big fat one, like two and a half inch one, you know, one of those whoppers. And I just started putting all kinds of articles on the inside of it to teach me a little bit more about fly fishing. And I, I decided I was going to go and talk to some people. So I went to fly shops and, and I talked to people there about where I should be fishing. And I studied maps about rivers and streams in the area. I bought the right flies. And that whole first year, I, I bet I went fishing maybe eight, ten times, and I didn't catch a fish. I went out, I whipped that water with my fly, and I, I just thought, you know, sooner or later, a dumb one's got to come along. He's going to help me. <laughs> no fish out of the first season of fishing. I'm like, what is going on here? Well, there was a man who was at church and he heard my woes. He had pity on me. And he said, Brian, let me take you fly fishing. He says, I've, I've done it a few times. And so ironically, his name was Christian. And I said, Christian, I would love to go with you. Just name the time and the place. So Christian dialed it in and we went to the uh, South Platte River, which is about an hour south of Denver. And I'm getting a little thing because this was uh, something I made after my trip with Christian. Christian brought me out to the South Platte River. I'm guessing the South Platte River was probably about as wide as to here to that uh, wall over there. So you can get an idea of how big that river was at that point. And he said, you know, before we do anything at this river, there's one thing we're going to do. And I'm like, well, what is that? And he said, well, you're going to come and you're going to take this saying that I've created and you can notice that this is 
well, it's old now because I made it in like, well, 1991, so it's 30 years old. It's the last of the test of time. This is screened used off of uh, a window screen, and I've just put it around two poles, and this is what he had that day. And he put it in the river like this, and let's pretend the river's kind of flowing this way. He put it in the river like this, and he said, hold this. And then he stepped up there, and he kind of just shuffled his feet around in the rocks. And I'm holding this right here, and I'm like, what's going to happen? The water's kind of going through the net. And he, he says, okay, pick that up. And I picked it up in my hands like this, and he gets some tweezers out of his, his pack, and he gets a little container, a little white, you know, the whipped cream containers? He gets one of those. And he starts picking bugs out of the net and putting them into that little container of white. And now, he said, that, that's what's in the river. This is what the fish are eating right now. And we're looking at that and I'm just amazed because there's like little worms and there's little quirly bugs and there's, there's stuff that's still tiny and there's colors, there's white, there's black, there's green. There, I mean, there's all these colors that are, that are right there inside the, the container. And he says, let me tie something on your, your fly here, that, or your rod. Let me tie something on that simulates something that we've just found is in this river. And he says, this is what I think they're eating today right here. So I step out in the water, and I start to cast. And he goes, can I, can I help you a little bit with your casting? Sure, I would love for you to help me with my casting. Whatever you say, I'm going to do today. So he comes out and he says, you know, I want you to kind of do more of a motion like this and I, and I want you to mend the water like this and get your line up. And, you know, he, he gave me all these tips. About, I'd say half an hour in, boom, fish on line. And I am so excited that I'm stumbling around the river and he's just over laughing. And, you know, we managed to get that, that river, that, that trout, Rocky Mountain rainbow trout up to the side and we got the hook out of it. We enjoyed that fish. Let him right back in the river for another person to catch him. This was a catch and release area. And man, my life changed at that moment. I mean, it was like, I'm hooked. I'm in. What was the difference? What had happened that day? I had studied. I knew a lot about fly fishing because, you know, I'd read about it and I'd even watch videos about it. But something happened that day and I had to have somebody kind of show me, give me a, a next level, as it were, of how to go about that. And I would say I had some knowledge about fly fishing, but I didn't yet have wisdom about fly fishing. And that's what today Solomon is going to tell us. He says, I'm going to tell you about wisdom. I'm going to help you understand how to have wisdom. It's what I want you to apply to your life is wisdom. And I'm going to say there are five truths today about wisdom. If you want to have wisdom, these are five truths about wisdom you need to understand. And as we close this out, he's going to give us this capstone on how to have wisdom. And there's five truths I want to give to you today. All right, here we go. First one, we gain wisdom over time. We gain wisdom over time. Verse 9 says it this way, Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. We wish that wisdom could come to us by waving a magic wand over us. Just ba-bam, here it comes. But wisdom doesn't operate that way. Wisdom usually matriculates to us over the course of more time. It's kind of like learning math or maybe learning a foreign language. Don't we wish that we could just put the chip in our brain and speak a foreign language? Wouldn't that be awesome? 
I mean, I just love that. I mean, Google Translate getting close with us, right? We can kind of put something in and have it do it. But that's not our brain. That's something happening in a computer somewhere. We, we wish language could work that way, but language doesn't work that way. We normally learn language by learning a few words in our little vocabulary and then starting to put a few phrases together and making a lot of mistakes. If you're not willing to make mistakes, you can't learn a foreign language. And that's the way that wisdom works. You've got to be able to put it on and try it on and try different ways. And, and that's what he's telling us is that I, uh, I'm imparting to you wisdom so that you can begin to practice that in your life. Now again, if you look at the passage, it says that he was applying or helping us apply both knowledge and wisdom. So then the question comes up, well, what's the difference between the two? What's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Well, that's a good question. I think we probably need to get that clear in our brains. So I put a definition up here for each one of those. Wisdom is the ability to discern or judge what's true, right, or lasting, whereas knowledge is information gained through experience, reasoning, or acquaintance. Leave those up there just for a moment for me while I talk about this section. Because again, in order for you to understand wisdom and knowledge, you need to understand that you can always have knowledge without wisdom, but you can never have wisdom without knowledge. Because knowledge is learning some facts about something. I knew facts about fly fishing, but I needed wisdom to be able to actually apply it and be able to make it productive. Knowledge can exist, again, without wisdom, but wisdom never without knowledge. Let me give you an example of that. Knowledge is knowing how to use a gun, but wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to holster it. That's the difference. Knowledge can exist, again, uh, in, in ways in which we are studying the Scriptures. And we can study the Scriptures for a long course of time, but wisdom knows how to apply it and knows how to apply that in, in a proper way within our lives. Knowledge, for instance, memorizes the Ten Commandments, but wisdom applies it to life. Knowledge understands, again, where the uh, light has turned red, Wisdom applies the brakes. Knowledge knows, hey, there's something, there's a bog over here, a, a, you know, a sinking sand over here. G wisdom goes around it. And so again, wisdom is that application of knowledge in our lives. Solomon is saying, I'm giving you both wisdom and knowledge, but what I really want you to pursue in your lives is wisdom, because wisdom is, again, this thing that you need in your life in order to be able to lead a whole life and to be able to glorify God in the process of that. Unfortunately, it doesn't come to us like lightning. It comes to us more like a gentle rain over the course of time. And that's exactly how Solomon even wrote the book. Solomon didn't write the book quickly. He didn't write the book in a haphazard way. He wrote the book in a very... Uh, in a very deliberate manner and he chose his subject and he chose his examples very, very carefully and that's why it has ended up being a masterpiece because it not only conveys truth to us but it conveys to us a level of aesthetic beauty. He's been a scholar and he's been an artist and he hasn't given us just word pictures and he hasn't given us little phrases just in order to, you know, to be uh, uh, cute He's given it to us because it's conveying to us truth, but it's also done that in a very beautiful way. Again, wisdom by its very nature usually goes against human grain. And it's not something that we initially would seek out or like, but once we recognize it and see it, it becomes something very beautiful to us. And that is the way that Solomon approached this letter. 
is in a very deliberate fashion over time. And he's also telling us that's the way wisdom is received. Is it we bathe in it over a course of time and we make it our very own. All right, here's the second truth about discovering wisdom I want you to see. It often comes through pain. It often comes through pain. Wish I didn't have to say that one, but I do. Verse 11 says, the words of the wise are like goads. Many of you know this instinctively, that oftentimes wisdom comes through pain. Because you've lived enough life to know that the episodes in your life where you perhaps learn the most about yourself, about others, about God, about the world, has been in the midst of times of great pain. Here's what he says. He says, the words of the wise or wisdom functions like goads. And we do not often use goads in our language today, certainly not in our practice today. So that word is going to escape many people. You're going to go, don't even know what that means. So explain that to me. All right, let me explain to you what a goad is. I have a picture here in the ancient world of, uh, I think this is probably an Egyptian, and he's got his ox over here and he's tilling the ground. He's got a stick in his hand, and the stick has a sharp point at the end of it. Sometimes they would even put a nail in the stick at the end of it. And when the animal is not doing what you want it to do, right in the rear, whoop-hoo, hey, woo, you know, and that's called goading the animal. And so again, what happens is you give direction to the animal, you give inspiration to the animal at times. Sometimes it's just a tap on either side to tell the animal, hey, I'm here, let's, let's move on with this. And Solomon is saying, guess what? Wisdom operates like that. Wisdom is a goad to you. It sticks you, it prods you. It says, hey, beware, don't go over there. Hey, beware, make sure and do this. And wisdom is always acting in this way of prodding us or poking us and it's providing a level of temporary discomfort, but it's providing always overall health and well-being. That's the overall goal of wisdom is always to bring better life to us. But in the process, sometimes it prods us in ways that are uncomfortable to us. Let me uh, remind you, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says it this way. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And that's the way God's word works. That's the way wisdom works, is it's always dividing. It's always getting into the deepest parts of our souls and our bodies in order to offer us direction and offer us correction. Pain is an important part of learning wisdom. I'm wondering, raise your hand if you've watched any part of March Madness. Can I see some March Madness fans here? Maybe, I don't know, maybe 30, 40% of us have watched some March Madness. There have been some great games. And for those of you who don't have no idea what I'm talking about, March Madness happens in March, ends early about April, about right now. And it's all the best college basketball teams from all over the country that come together to play. And they play in this big tournament, one loss and you're out, so it's just always on pins and needles, and there's just some great games. Well, there is somebody that caught my attention during March Madness that I think understands this notion that wisdom involves pain. His name is Mike Woodson. Mike is the head coach of the Indiana basketball team, and if any of you know anything about Indiana and Hoosiers, I'm, I'm sorry, but it's like next to religion, basketball is, in that country, or in that state. I mean, it's just like big, big, big. And Indiana has got a decent team this year, and they, they did make their way into March Madness, but 
The point was back in February, they had five players on the team that had a level of misconduct against the rules of the team. We never quite found out what they did, but it was pretty grievous. And so Mike Woodson does something in February, which is in March, it's gonna be going to the big, the big dance, the big tournament. And in February, he takes the five players when they're playing a game that was kind of a must-win game, and he says, you're sitting out today. They all put on their shirts. They all came in and they sat down and they watched the individuals that probably weren't the starters that ended up playing that game and lost to a very low-ranked team. Why did Mike Woodson do that? He did that because wisdom says it was actually more valuable for the character of these players to be developed than another win. That's what he knew. I am building men. I'm building athletes that are for a lifetime and I'm willing to subject some pain right now in order for something greater to be developed, which is the character of these men. And wisdom will oftentimes do that to us. It will cause some short-term pain for something that's more important in the long run. And be on your lookout if you're learning wisdom because those kinds of things end up happening as we're learning about wisdom. Third one here. Wisdom is, comes like a collection. And in verse 11 it says, Like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. He's saying that uh, these collections come with nails that are pounded into boards. You've done that before. You've pounded a nail into a board before. And he's saying, imagine that. And he's saying it's more like what we might call a peg. So the nail firmly into the board now creates a space where you can come and you can hang things on these pegs or these nails that are put into boards. And he's saying that's the way wisdom happens. Wisdom happens to us like these collections of sayings or these collections of ideas that now are in the, uh, the, the parts of our brain or the parts of our mind that hang on hooks and together they form this collection of truth that we know go back to and use over and over and over again. Do I have anybody here that loves golf? Raise your hand if you love golf today. Uh, ra- ra- keep your hand raised if you're going to watch the Masters. It's this next weekend. We have a few people that are going to do that. A couple hands that are really up for that. Like, yeah, I'm all in. Imagine that you were trying to explain to somebody how to play golf. They'd never played before, never seen the sport before. Or you were explaining to them how to have a golf swing. I'm asking you, could you do that in a sentence or with a few words? My sense is no. If you're explaining the sport of golf to somebody, you're going to have to like use paragraphs, many of them. And you might want to even use some photographs or some video or maybe you'd actually bring them a golf ball and show them a golf ball and show them the clubs that they would use and explain to them, wow, there's, there's different kinds of clubs for different kinds of shots. And you've got a long litany of explanation that you would go into in order for them to understand how to play golf. My point is, Wisdom is like that. It doesn't come with one super expression in which it encapsulates everything at every moment. It comes with a collection of sayings or a collection of ideas and we hang those in our minds off these firmly embedded nails 
And we come back to those and we say, okay, let me borrow from that piece of wisdom that I know and let me apply that in this situation. And I'm constantly building out that library of those collected sayings. That's the way wisdom operates. And too many times I think that we think wisdom is like this, some light switch, you know? On, off, it's, it's, you know, this is what it is. And it's like, no, it's more like a collection of ideas from God that we are using and we are operating from. And so it's this collection Wisdom, number four, is gaining wisdom is, uh, it doesn't come from endless study. So this is what wisdom has not gained. It's not gained from endless study. And some of the children, and indeed some people here today are saying a hearty amen. Because, you know, again, it's like, I knew all this study wasn't really valuable. I don't gain wisdom from that mom and dad. 12, verse 12 says it this way. My son, beware of anything beyond these. The making of many books, there is no end, and much study is, a weary, is wearisome of the flesh. Wisdom is not the domain of just smart people. In fact, many smart people, by the world standards, would never qualify for being wise according to God's standards. The wisdom of the world does not match the wisdom of God. The world can become very uh, enamored with endless reading and endless writing, and that's what they oftentimes think yields wisdom. But Solomon's saying, no, 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 it doesn't come that way. He's saying, you know, the writing of many books is not what produces real wisdom. Uh, Did you know that there are 2.2 million books written in the world every year? Year passes, another 2.2, bam! That's how much is written in our world. 275,000 of those titles come from the United States. And by the way, this is not even including self-published works. So things that might include on the internet or, or shortly written articles. This is just books that actually have ISBN numbers that go into catalogs and libraries. 2.2 million every year. This number blew my mind. Think about this for a second. Amazon now has in its titles, I, this is astounding, million titles. Can you believe that? I mean, that's beyond even comprehension for me of how much that is. It's so much. Solomon is saying that there isn't wisdom that's necessarily in the consumption of all of that writing. He's saying wisdom is not coming from just study by itself. Wisdom comes in another way. It comes by learning from God and applying some of the things that he says to your life. Let me give you another example of this because it's a commonly held phrase that you hear a lot. And it says this about parachutes. Mines are like parachutes. They only work when open. And you've you've probably heard that that phrase before. I pulled that one off of an internet website because it was just so common it was easy to go find. Well, I love the way that G.K. Chesterton responded to that Quote, this is years ago when G.K. G.K. Chesterton wrote this. Give me the next one. Merely having an open mind is nothing. The object of opening the mind as, as opening the mouth is to close it again on something solid. Your job is not to just perpetually have an open mind. Your job is to find out what is true and then clamp on that, practice that, consume that, eat that, he would say. That's what the real desire is here. The person who's just always remaining open for every idea is just floating. I mean, they're just, they're just moving on and they're just gonna be buffeted around by the currents of, of today's age. He says, your real job is to find truth and to anchor on it. 
And this is the way that God is saying, I want you to apply truth in your life. Not just learn more and more and more and more, but actually find me and begin to practice what I'm telling you. Plenty of learned people are just in the perpetual learning mode, but never the practice mode. They're always in search of something new, something novel, something more. And God says, I want you to practice what I've given in front of you that you know is right. Begin there, and I'll give you more and more to practice in the future. All right, there's one more. Fifth and finally, wisdom has a foundation. I'm in verse uh, 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And what he's telling us here is, is that wisdom actually has a foundation. It has a source. It's always operating whether we want it to or not. Let me give you another example of this, of this idea of wisdom having a source. Many of you have heard of what's called the jet stream, the Atlantic jet stream. I have a picture up here for you of the Atlantic jet stream, excuse me, I should say the Gulf stream, not the jet stream. Uh, it has a jet stream to it, but it's, it's a Gulf stream. And uh, it starts all the way down here in the, in the Caribbean near Cuba and Gulf of Mexico, and it's a body of water that moves up the eastern seaboard of the United States and then moves across the Atlantic Ocean all the way over into Europe. Let me give you an idea of how big the Gulf Stream is. It's about 62 miles wide and about 300 feet deep. And the Gulf Stream is always moving at a, an average of about 5.6 miles an hour. So think about this for a minute. 26 miles, excuse me, 62 miles wide, 300 feet deep, this body of water that is just moving. It's one of the most powerful forces on earth today. And again, even if you don't see it or you don't believe that it's moving, it's there, it's moving. And if you're a ship that is on the Gulf Stream at any moment, you're moving along whether you want to or not at 5.6 miles an hour. I mean, that's what it's doing because it's moving all of the masses of, of ships and sea life and everything is in that jet stream or that Gulf Stream and it's moving along. I say this because God has a foundation of wisdom and it's operating whether you want it to or not, whether you see it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not. And Solomon says this, it's summed up in two commands, fear God and keep his commands. That's what is the foundation of all wisdom. You can't have wisdom unless you're operating from that foundation. Fear God, keep his commands. He's given us the crux of the matters, Solomon says. It's the end of the story. It's the design for all things. It's the design for all people is to fear God, keep his commands because we live in a moral universe in which God has given us his laws. And that's the way that we exercise wisdom is having a right relationship with him and desiring to do his will. I like the way Eugene Peterson captures this final uh, section or this final little phrase. He writes it this way. He says, the last and final words this, fear God, do what he tells you. I mean, that's just straight out, right? Fear God and do what he tells you. And that has wisdom as its foundation and we would do well to remember that. Well, Solomon has concluded how to gain wisdom he tells us that we gain wisdom by summing up this foundation that we have with God of fearing Him and doing what He says. And I wonder, is that your default position? Is that what really matters the most to you? Is that you desire to fear God and do what He asks? 
Let me just tell you, most of us do a pretty bad job of that. At least, you know, in the natural world, in our natural flesh, we would do a pretty bad job of that. Because here's the deal. We normally have a greater desire to please ourselves than we do to please God. That's really, at the heart, the nature of sin on the inside of us. And that's why Jesus comes in order to actually break the cycle of that Jesus, number one, is going to pay for the rebellion that we've had against God of wanting to please ourselves more than pleasing him. But Jesus does something else that's really stealthy because he comes along on the inside of us and he says, not only do I want to now come and forgive you, but I also want to come along and change you on the inside. I want to actually give you new appetites. I want to give you new ways, new desires of pleasing God and I'm going to inhabit you to be able to create this new trajectory of your life. So I don't want to just forgive you, but I'm actually going to change you and if you have any possibility that you're going to fear God and do what he says, it's going to be actually me living on the inside of you to accomplish that because Jesus would say, I'm pretty good at that. In fact, I live my whole life doing that to perfection, and now I wish to, in my death and resurrection, come and give that kind of life, that kind of hope, to you. And so if any of us are going to have this opportunity to live out this life of pleasing God, of, uh, of honoring Him by fearing Him and wanting to do what He says, it's going to be this life of Jesus that's welling up on the inside of us. It would be remiss of me today if I didn't invite you. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, it's impossible for you to do what this book says unless he's living and giving that life on the inside of you. Maybe today would be the day in which you'd say, Jesus is for me. I want him to be my Savior and I want that kind of life given to me. And supernaturally, that begins to happen at the point at which we receive that, in which we invite that, in which we welcome that. So would you join me in prayer as we close today, as we thank God for this book. Lord, thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes, and thank you for wisdom that you have sought to give us, and do give us. And this wisdom is best found in the person of Jesus We wish for Jesus to lead us into all truth and to give us the wisdom of God in order that we might practice it in our lives for your glory. Lord, for individuals today that would say, I'm not sure I've really ever received Jesus. May that be the case today. And we pray right now, we open our hearts and we say, Lord, we have sinned and disobeyed you. Christ has paid that price and now he's willing to come and inhabit us to forgive to cleanse, to make new, and to give a new hope and future. For individuals that are ready today, Lord, may they say yes to you in that time and in that space. Lord, thank you for, again, your goodness to us and your constant delivery of your life for ours. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.